welcome to Dr. Bingo Fairmont's Management Minute. Today, Dr. Fairmont is just behind the eight ball. He can't quite make it, so in his place, me, Russell Clayton, and Adam Shoemaker, that's Dr. Adam Shoemaker, will be here to fill in. We're coming to you from the St. Leo University Donald R. Tapia School of Business Recording Studio. The Judges Chambers. Also known as the Judges Chambers, right here in sunny Tampa Bay, Florida. Shu, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Russell, I just got out from behind the eight ball myself, so yeah. I know how it can go. I got the email where you did, in fact, say you were behind the eight ball. Now, question. It's, it's summer. It's travel season oh, for a lot times. of us. Good times. If Dr. Fairmont as a way to repay us for covering for him for all these episodes that he's been out for. If Dr. Fairmont sent you on a one-week all-expenses-paid vacation, where would you go? That's a great question because you know what? A week is not enough time to go to, like, Cambodia or right. Australia or something like that, Peru. You know, you want to go somewhere where you have more time. So I'm thinking somewhere relaxing, mm. you know, the, the all-inclusive resort in Jamaica, right? Or maybe a little villa in Italy, something like that. What What would you do? You know, my my initial thought was Hawaii, but uh, then the whole time frame perspective comes in. True. One it's week, two days of traveling, right? Right. There. Um, I think I'd still do it though. I'd go have a handful of days to just relax right there in Hawaii. Of course, we have beaches about twenty miles from where we're sitting right now. That's true. But they're not Hawaii. I'd love to check it out. Take the, my family, go relax. You like to hit some of those big 40-foot waves, I think. I am a big kahuna. <laughs> all right. Well, today we're talking about uh, sort of the other direction. Rather than us traveling to all these exotic destinations, mm -hmm. what about people who want to come here to the U.S. And, and live and work? And that means we're talking about H-1B visas. Now, an H-1B visa is just a co different kind of a visa that allows a foreign worker with specialized knowledge, and that usually refers to STEM fields like science, technology, right. engineering, math, right. other things, to come and work for the U.S., and it's for a maximum of six years. So, so there's some pushback about these, any kind of visa right now with all the politics in the air. we got the right. presidential election coming up. Immigration is a big issue. But this isn't an immigration issue. This isn't to come to our country and become a naturalized person. This is come work here for a little while. And right. then you're going to have to go back or figure out a different way to stay here. Right. This, this is, is a temporary visa. Make our workplaces better That's issue. It. That's it. And employers really like these because uh, it, you're going to find people out there who would really love to come to the U.S. and work. This is a great place to live and work. Oh, yeah. Any way you slice it. You know, we know that because we live here, but it's right. just true. Uh, and sometimes there's the potential that a person coming from abroad is willing to settle for a lower salary than a U.S. worker would take. Now, there's sure. rules when you use these visas. There's rules about how you have to, first of all, make sure you're offering the jobs to U.S. citizens, right? Right. Not just saying, hey, we're going to undercut you and go to a person from a foreign country. You have to be willing to offer it to U.S. people first at the same salary that you would pay a foreign worker. And by the way, you have to offer what's called a prevailing wage salary. Right. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to pay you $10,000 to do this work in the, in the hospital, right? It's going to need to be something that's in line with what people get paid in this country. But it could be on the low end of that, right. to be frank. Right? And there's also a rule that you can't lay off U.S. workers in favor of people who are hired under this H-1B visa program. But... Unfortunately, there's lots of exemptions and loopholes and ways to get around some of these things. And we saw some of that uh, about a year ago or so with with Southern Edison in California, mm. where they had to, they let a lot of American workers go in favor of foreign workers. And there was a right. big pushback against that. 
Well, why are we talking about this particularly right now? The reason why, and this comes from an article written for SHRM by Roy Moore, um, and it tells us about the, the growing trend toward trying to get these visas to get foreign workers. So they don't just hand these out. They right. don't just say, hey, Bob, you know, come over and, and work for us here in the U.S. This year, here's the statistic for you, uh, employers across the U.S. applied for 236,000 H-1B visas. When you sent that to me, I was just astounded at that it's number. A it's a lot. And, and even back as recent as 2013, it was only about half that. Right. It's gone up significantly in the last 15, 20, 25 years since this program kind of got off the ground. And I think I think what puts that huge number, 236,000 in context, is the next number that you're about to give us. That's right. The problem is this, or one of the problems is this, is that federal law and laws around uh, immigration and national, uh, you know, nationalization only allow for 85,000 H-1B visas. There's actually 65,000, and then there's an extra 20,000 that you can get if you have an advanced degree and you got, went to school in the U.S. So it's about 85,000 total. That means out of those 236,000, about two-thirds of them got rejected out of hand. Sorry, you right. can't come. Right. right. So that's unfortunate for the employers. Now, the problem also is this. The employers are, are really motivated to get to apply for all these visas, even if they don't need them. And here's why. Because there's really no skin in the game right. for the employers. They have to pay about $2,300 in fees and, and, uh, and, and other things uh, to apply to get this visa for one employee. But if they don't get the employee and they don't win that sort of lottery of this H-1B visa, then they get their money back. The, the U.S. Right. government says, hey, sorry, you didn't get it. Here's your Here's check your back. Check. Right. right. So why wouldn't they apply for, you know, 500 of these things if right. they wanted to get some new Low employees? risk. Exactly. Low risk, great exactly. reward if you get them. Now, what's the exception there? There's an exception. It's called the 50-50 rule. And that means if you have more than 50 employees and 50% of them or more are people who are on visas or you need people who are on visas. And even then, you're paying an additional $4,000 fee. So it's not, we're not talking big money. It's not outrageous. Right? This is the kind of money, even if you talk about $6,300, that could probably be made up from hiring somebody at a slightly lower wage than right. your average American wants for that job. Correct. Right? Uh, so really what we're talking about here is the the rules that are set up as they are now, it really incentivizes abuse. It incentivizes, hey, we're going to apply for as many of these things as we can get. If we don't get them, we'll get our money back. And people just applying willy-nilly for these visas that they really don't right. need. So we could we could sort of classify the way the H-1Bs, uh, the H-1B visa process currently stands is, is, as a flawed system. Definitely a flawed system, for sure. And, and and it's gone back and forth, right? Back when we first had the first legislation about limiting, putting a cap on how many visas we had, uh, it was back in 1990. I think it was under President Bush Sr., and, uh, and he wanted to limit it to 65,000. When Bill Clinton came into office, he increased that. When George W. Bush, uh, George Jr. came into right. office, he decreased it again. So it's really gone back and forth. And a lot of employers, I think, feel like, hey, this isn't fair. The people who are doing this for legitimate reasons say, look, we need people who have these skills. There's still this skills gap in the U.S. Right. where we don't have enough engineers, we don't have enough scientists to fill all these jobs. And they're saying, you know, we're getting the short end of the stick because we need these employees. Right. And other big companies are gaming the system and saying, hey, if we don't get them, we get our money back. So no big deal. A lot of abuse there. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and there's also some other, there's some fees that go into this that I think probably need to be re-looked at. There's a $1,500 fee that's part of that 
uh, fee that they pay that's called a retraining fee, and that's supposed to go toward programs that are going to help American mm, workers to okay. better compete, to okay. get people to take STEM degrees and get STEM training. And it's not real clear that anything specific is happening with that. We don't know where that 1500 is going. It's going somewhere, but it's not coming to me. I don't think it's coming to you. Uh, just not, yeah, I so, wish. You know, where where is that ending up? And there's a couple of solutions for, for what we could do about yeah, this. Yeah, talk to us about that. You pulled an interesting piece from the Wall Street Journal. Yes, and Gary Beach is a great guy. He's a big thinker. Wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal probably about a month ago, beginning of April, when the application period for H-1B visas opened up. And, right. And when they were filled up in a, within a week. Right. And he said, listen, the first thing to do is, why are these application fees refundable? Why are they giving back the money? Right. Make the organizations have some skin in the game. And right. And say, you pay it if you want them. And if you don't get them, thanks for your money, right? Thanks for trying. And maybe that would dissuade people from just saying willy-nilly, hey, let's get some more H-1B visas up in here because we can we can get our money back. Right. I think that 236 number goes way down if that's the case. Right. I think you're right because it's just you know, it's a matter of convenience, right? Um, and the other thing that Gary Beach said, which is a great idea, is maybe you base the fees that they pay on the size of the company. So you're giving an advantage to small startups. So they say, hey, look, we can't find enough people with these specialized skills in the U.S., Maybe we're a small company. We pay a lower fee than your big, fat, you know, uh, Intel, uh, right. other organizations that can afford big fees to get some of these other workers from and abroad. And I, I really thought that was a, a great point that Beach made because even if the fees are non-refundable, you know, the figures you tossed out earlier are, are peanuts yep. for a lot of large corporations it's true. versus a local startup where those numbers start to add up. You're for, you're for sure so. right. You're for sure right. And then another idea that we saw online that we looked at, uh, uh, Helen Raleigh is actually a woman who received an H-1B visa when she first came to this country. I believe she's Asian background. Uh, and she now is a U.S. citizen. But her idea, she's written a lot about this, and her idea is, hey, the U.S. should use a system kind of like what Canada has to decide who can come and who can't. Right, And this kind of goes toward the applicant side of it, but that means that there's not as much pressure to say, hey, let's get all these visas, because we're looking at people on a point system. We're looking at, right. you know, do they have a degree? Do they have a certain number of years' experience? Do they have the right field that we're looking for? You know, do they speak English fluently? Do they go to school in the U.S.? And you get a different number of points for all these different criteria. Right. And that way, there's a whole lot less worry about, is there fraud in the system? And are people kind of gaming it to get the people that they want to come in? I feel like it just makes it sound more legitimate to do that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can learn something from the way the Canadians are doing that. Absolutely. I think you're right. So so if Dr. Fairmont were here, what do you think he would say about what to do with foreign workers, what to do about these H-1B visas? You know, I think what Dr. Fairmont would tell us is he, he would certainly remind us, you know, listen, the system is flawed, but we need these workers, right. uh, especially he would echo what you said, you know, the STEM fields uh, we are we are lacking uh, and we need those folks. I think he would say, let's don't completely get rid of the system, but perhaps let's take away the incentives to cheat it. Rather, let's make there an incentive for people to play by the rules properly. Let's follow what Beach has outlined in his Wall Street Journal article. Let's fix a flawed system. You got it. And with that, Shu, I think we're going to close down this episode on H-1B visas. Thank you so much to the St. Leo University, Donald R. Tapia School of Business. And thank you so much to bensound.com for our intro music. Thank you to Sean Gibbons, our editor. And if you guys see Dr. Fairmont while you're out and about, please let him know 
that we're looking for and that we hope you can join us on the next podcast. Bye, everybody. Take care.